chapter 1 of Ephesians today. And uh, this is really, I'm going to talk to you today about the interpersonal relationship, if you will, within the body of Christ. That's what Paul really talks about in this passage and how we can, how we can live and how we can love and how we can pray for one another. Well, I want to start this morning with prayer. We have several people in our, in our church family that are going through some pretty difficult times right now. Loss of loved ones. Uh, I have two families who were impacted with loss of loved ones this week. We have those who are also in the hospital and, and we have some families that shared that they have family members in the hospital, not quite sure what's going on. And maybe there's some other thing that you're going through. I want to do this this morning. Not to put anybody on the spot, so I'm not going to have anybody stand, but what I am going to do, if you, if you are just in need, and I'm not just talking about everybody for, I'm talking about what I just talked about, loss of loved ones, people in the hospital, uh, we're praying for, for, for that day. Just raise your hand where you're at. If you do that, don't be afraid. Just raise your hand right there. Okay? Now, those around them, see those hands up? Now I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer, especially for these people here today. Let's pray. Okay? If you're around those people, go ahead. You feel led to put a hand on them, gather around them, whatever you want to do, and let's just spend a moment in prayer together this morning. All right? Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the privilege of praying for our brothers and sisters, those who are going through very difficult times waiting for answers from doctors, and then those whose loved ones have left them. Father, that uh, they are with you this morning, and we are grateful for that promise, but Lord, for those who are left behind, it's hard. And Lord, uh, though they know that their loved one's better, uh, in a better place and taken care of, still there's that loneliness, there's that hurt, there's that pain. So we ask that your spirit would minister to them, to fill that void that they have, and to give your peace that surpasses all understanding. Father, we we lay at your feet those who are going through physical ailments and in the hospitals and ask you, Lord, to bring healing to them, bring encouragement to the family who's waiting. And now, Lord, we pray that your spirit would teach us. We're here to hear from you, Father, and we have so far from our children and from our worship time together. Now, Lord, as we break your word open, we pray that your spirit would speak to us right where we need to be spoken to, and give us exactly what we need today. In Jesus' name, amen. And I hope that's true. I hope that you understand that you are here, hopefully you are here, to hear what God has to say to you, and not just to hear someone preach a sermon. It's very important that you understand that, that here we believe this is the living Word of God. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and the same Holy Spirit that inspired it will take his word and will implant it in your life right where you're at right now, whatever you're going through right now. Now, God's word says what it says. It's true, and it's always true, and, it's, and, it, and, and it perfectly says what God intends for to say to us. But the wonderful dynamic of that unchangeable, eternal word of God is that the Holy Spirit is able to take that word and touch us right where we're at. It's not that it's saying something different. It's saying that the impact of his word in each one of our life may be something different. And that's a miracle that only the Holy Spirit can do. It's a little bit intimidating when you think about standing up and and preaching in front of a couple hundred people because you say, Lord, how can I possibly meet every need that's in the worship service today? And he reminds me, that's not your job. Your job is to share the truth and I'll meet the needs of my people. 
So let's read these words out of the book of Ephesians. I hope you're encouraged by what we're going to read today. I hope it also gives you some equipment to how you can more effectively love your brother or sister in Christ. And how you could, if God gives you the opportunity, that you might be able to minister into their life. Now, let me just say this. You are uniquely who you are. Good, bad, or indifferent. You're uniquely who you are. Okay? God does not intend for you to be anybody else. But what he does intend is for who he has made you to be, he intends you you and I to surrender that to him. And he'll put you right where he needs you. Because that's the way life works. Sometimes you'll be able to touch someone's life that I couldn't possibly touch. You'll be able to speak into someone's experience that I could not speak into. The point is that the body of Christ be fully immersed in the word of God and led by the Holy Spirit of God so that when God leads us to, to, to love on somebody else, particularly in the body of Christ, that we just follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and he's able to use us to touch a life that you'll say, wow, I didn't know. And it's not, that's the point. You don't have to know. He knows. You and I just have to be available to him and, and follow him as he leads us. Now, here's what Paul writes for us as we close out the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. We'll start at verse 15 together. He says this, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that God, excuse me, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, uh, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceedingly exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he had worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all principality and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What a wonderful passage of the scripture. And as I read it, I find great encouragement in here. And by the way, great instruction. How many want to be a better Christian? It's not just found in doing the right things. It's found in following the right person. Now, the Holy Spirit will always take us and guide us in the right things. And he will always take His word, the word of God and teach us the things that we need to receive And what he intends for us is not to sit there and just receive things and become bloated on biblical truth, but he intends to feed us with the word of God so that we might have that supernatural energy, if you will, to sustain us as we minister into other people's lives. How many of you know that when when you minister into someone's life, you can become weary? It can become tiring. It can be hard. And we're reminded not to become weary in well-doing, but but we are human beings, so we can be worn out. You know, even Jesus got tired. 
Even Jesus, after ministering in people's life, had to get away for a while. Had to be refreshed for a while by the ministering of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he does in our life. To prepare us to literally love on one another. So, as we look at this passage, I want to to talk about three things this morning. I want to talk, first of all, about... How we do the family of God. Now listen to how I put it. How do we do the family of God? How are we the family of God? And what do we do as a family of God? Second of all, how can we pray for one another? Paul gives us a great example of praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the last thing I want to share with you is remind you that it is crucial to whom you pray. There's a lot of people that pray. There's a lot of religious expression of prayer throughout humanity. That which makes a difference is not how often you pray, pray or even how sincerely you pray, but the ultimate difference is seen in who you pray to. It's so important. So let's break this down today, uh, what Paul says. First of all, how are we to do the family of God? What's the church supposed to look like? The book of Ephesians is a, it's categorized as a church epistle. That is a letter to the churches, which means God is going to speak through his apostle, Paul in this case, to instruct the church how to be the body of Christ. What should we look like? What should our identity be? Well, we've already found out through Pastor Cliff's messages, the ones I've shared with you previously, that what we always should be is what we are in Christ Jesus. We are never to be anything outside of who we are in Christ Jesus. Now, that is an over a, a statement that, that kind of sets over us. It's an umbrella statement of who we are. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? What's that begin to look like? Now, Paul does not intend to tell us in the passages that I'm reading to you here everything that it looks like, but he is trying to help us Get a grasp on what it begins to look like as, as a body of Christ. How do we do the family of God? How do we do the church? What should we look like? Well, Paul begins this portion by saying how thankful he is when he looks at the church at, at Ephesus. And the first thing that he says about them is, I am so thankful for your faith And your love. I am so thankful for your faith and your love. You remember in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he talks about love there, doesn't he? And he says, there are three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. And then he makes this statement. And the greatest of these is what? Love. But think about it. When everything's said and done, there are three things that remain. A lot of things going on, but there are three things that remain. Now, if God says these are the three things that he's going to carry on into eternity, they ought to be three things that we're pretty well concerned with. Now, he, 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 he will talk about the hope we have in Jesus Christ here in a little bit. But right now he's speaking about our faith and, 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 and our love. Now, as you've read your Bible, where else do you find the book, the, excuse me, the church at Ephesus mentioned? Anybody have any idea? Someone said, say it out loud, in Revelation. Matter of fact, it is the first letter that, or the first message that Jesus gives to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. He gives it to the church at Ephesus. Do you remember that? 
Do you happen to remember what his message was to that church? He, he spoke well of them when it came to the faith part. You remember that? You've kept the faith. You've, you've walked the walk. You've done all those things. But he said, but he said, but I have one thing that I'm very concerned about, if you will. I, he actually says, I have one thing against you. You remember what that was? He said, you have lost your first love. Now, in the church, who is our first love? It's Jesus. How am I able to love you as my brother and my sister in Christ? And the answer is, when I love Jesus, I can love you. If I skip over my first love, I can't love you the way that you need to be loved as my brother and sister in Christ. And so when Jesus talked to the church at Ephesus, when he looked at and it was, it was after this time, of course, he, he said to them, listen, something's changed in you. You almost get the feeling, I could, let's go back, church, let's go back to the letter that Paul sent you. And how Paul, remember how Paul said, I'm just thankful that you're a people of great faith and a people of great love. And now Jesus says, you still got the faith, church, but something happened to the love. Something happened to the love. Now remember what Paul said about those who just have faith but don't have love. 1 Corinthians 13 again. I could speak with the tongue of angels. I could prophesy. I could give everything, sell everything I have and give it to the poor. I could literally give my body to be sacrificed and to be burned for the faith. But if I do not have love, it's meaningless. How important is love in the body of Christ? How many beside the pastors ever messed up? How many of you ever messed up in a relationship with another brother or sister in Christ? I mean, have you ever just dropped a bomb right in the middle of a relationship? Were you, were you just, you just messed it up. You know what the Bible says about that? Listen, love covers a multitude of sin. Doesn't excuse it, but it covers it. Now nobody is like Mr. Dave. That is, that knows everything and does everything right. Matter of fact, he just proved today my point. He doesn't know everything and he didn't do everything right. So you mess up up here, you're going to end up with a sermon illustration, just what it is. But that's true of all of us, isn't it? We're all limited in our understanding. Now, he's going to pray for that, but we're limited. And we're all very capable of messing up, of letting another Christian down, a brother or sister. And I'm not saying it's intentional. Sometimes I guess it could be. But sometimes it's just, we just pass by it. We're all guilty of that. So love, love is that, if you will, love is that glue that holds us together. Sure, certainly it's based on a common faith and it's based on a common doctrine. But, but what happens when we don't measure up? What happens when we mess up? What happens when we stumble and fall? What holds us together? What causes a brother or sister when, when, when I was, 
when I would fall on my face, what causes them to come and, and help me get back on my feet? It's not just faith. Faith, yes, is so important, but it is the love. You understand that faith without love can become very brutal. Some of the harshest words I've heard in the 40 years of my ministry have someone who's taken a passage, thinking that they're demonstrating their great faith by quoting a passage at me, just to crush me. And I'm sure all of you have experienced that in some way or another. These two always go together in the church, or should always go together in the church. Our faith, based in the love of Christ. And so when Paul looked at uh, the church of, at, at Ephesus, uh, the first thing he says, how do we do church? How do we do the Christian family? It must be done in faith. Because, by the way, we're reminded of Scripture that anything that's not of faith is a sin. So it must be done in faith, tied with love. Now, that can be difficult sometimes. Which is, once again, why we need the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Because without the Holy Spirit, we can't do anything. So faith and love. The second way he tells us that we are to do the family of God, and he uses this word. He says to the church at Ephesus, I'm thankful for you. I'm just thankful that you exist. I'm thankful that you are my brother or my sister in Christ. It is a demonstration of selfishness, self-centeredness, and no heart for God when the people who claim to be the people of God have no sense of thankfulness in their hearts. And that thankfulness is not just to extend to God. Praise God and thank God for all that he's done. But it is also supposed to extend between us. That thankfulness. Are you thankful for your brother or sister? That's here today. Even the one you may have rubbed wrong this week or they rubbed you wrong. I always wonder about, you know, people say, I just hope when I go to church, so-and-so isn't there. Let me tell you something about so-and-so. They'll probably be next door to you in heaven for eternity. (laughs) You better get thankful for them right now. There, there is this wonderful dynamic, and, and one of the things that, that, that when Chip and Sandy do some of their seminars, I just love this approach because, because the point is that as, how we do church is this way. Most of the time, we understand this. That's us between God. Us and God, we understand that. He's our creator. He's our savior. We have no problem worshiping him for the most part. We have no problem being thankful to him for all that he's poured in his life. We got that part good. But there's the, the second dynamic of the body of Christ is this relationship, this, this horizontal relationship, this side-by-side relationship. It's a relationship we have with one another. And that's where we have difficulty. I can love God, but I'm having trouble loving you. You understand that? Anybody ever been there? Okay. Yet Jesus said... As important as this relationship, and of course this is the primary relationship, no doubt about it, between us and God. But if this primary relationship is right, this relationship is to be right too. Because if this relationship is not right, that relationship cannot be right. 
So much so that Jesus said, you know what, if you're going to bring your gifts to the Father, if you're going to bring your offering to the Father, and you have something against your brother or sister in Christ, you leave that there. Don't bring it to the Lord yet, but you go first to your brother or sister in Christ, and you make it right. Pastor, I'm okay with making it right as long as they agree that they were wrong. (laughs) I understand that. Because we're all like Mr. Dave. We're never wrong. Okay? He's going to love this when he watches it later on. (laughs) But think about that. When Jesus says, go make it right with your brother and sister, he's not saying, go convince them that you were right. That, again, is self-seeking. That is stubbornness. That, That is selfishness. That is making yourself into some sort of demagogue that, 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 that rises above it. You say, but pastor, what if I am right? Well, most of these relationship problems have nothing to do with what I would say fundamental truths of the faith. I'm not asking anybody to surrender their fundamental truths of the faith, the, the fundamentals of, of what we all know to be true. But most of our relationship problems have nothing to do with, with some, some you know, real big doctrinal truth. They just have to be, do with, I didn't get my way. Am I right? Come on. They didn't do it the way I wanted it done. They didn't see it the way that I saw it. They didn't understand the scripture quite as well as I understood the scripture. They didn't, I mean, there's a whole lot of they didn't. Have you ever noticed that in these broken relationships, it always begins with they. It always extends out with what's wrong. Do you see what I'm saying this morning? It always begins with outwardly what's wrong. She did this. He did this. They did this. It very rarely ever begins with, it's me. You know, it's always funny. I've watched this through the years and stuff, and people who tend to have a continuous issue with relationship with other people, they can never see that they're the common denominator in all the issues. You know what I'm saying is true. And that's what the preacher said. Is that amen or is that oh me? Okay. Paul says to this church, and I love how he expresses, he says, I'm just thankful for you. And I love the thought, too, I'm thankful for you just because you are. Not because of what you do for me, not because you agree with me on everything, not because, not because I get my way with you. I'm just thankful that you are my brother and my sister in Christ. You know, when you have a genuine relationship with somebody, issues do not become the main thing. Relationship is the main thing. And even when issues happen that may cause some harm to a relationship, it's a funny thing. When a relationship is as it's supposed to be, many times, well, those issues begin to fade away. Begin to fade away. Paul says, I'm thankful. How do we do church or how should we do church? With thankful hearts for one another. Are you thankful that you're here today? Are you thankful that there's brothers and sisters in Christ that are surrounding you today? Are you thankful for that brother and sister in Christ who speaks into your life, who just loves you, who, who you know prays for you? Are you thankful for that brother or sister in Christ that may be difficult? 
I shared with you before that one time I went to a, a seminar with uh, uh, Richard Blackaby, the son of Henry Blackaby, and, and he was talking about to the pastors of, of medium to small-sized churches. And he reminded said he said, first of all, I said, guys, listen, that church you're in is not your stepping stone to the next bigger church. He says, I'm going to tell you something. There are no greener pastures. They're just bigger ones. And then he said this, that person that you think is your problem in that church, they're not your problem. They're your ministry. God has called us to walk in faith, to live in love, and to be thankful for one another. These are, church, the basics of how we do family. And these, these, these truths are not only true in the church, but think about it. See how they tie in with, even within our nuclear family. We want to be a healthy church. And we think that that health of the church is seen by the numbers or, or by the, the, how many ministries we're doing or how much money we bring in. We, we, we identify a healthy church that way. But the Bible never identifies a church that way or the health of a church that way. It talks about a people of faith. It talks about a people of love. And it talks about a people who, are, who have thankful hearts for God and for one another. How do we do church? How do we do the family? The third thing that Paul shows us there, and this will move into my second point today, we pray for one another. How do we do church? How do we do family? We pray for one another. If a member of your nuclear family was going through a hard time, how long would it take you to begin to pray for them? Maybe they're not walking as they're supposed to be walking with the Lord. How long does it take you to pray for them? Maybe they're in pain. How long does it take you to pray for them? Not even a nanosecond. It ought to be the same way within the body of Christ. Now, I want to say this so you get this. This is so important. God never called you or me to pray about somebody. You know what praying about somebody is? It's spiritual gossip. God, let me tell you. I'm going to pick on you now, Ron. Let me tell you about Ron. Let me give you information, God, about Ron. What a mess he is. And you can't even believe what he said. You can't believe what he did. And God, I happen to know that he acts like he does things for you, but he doesn't really. And by the way, I don't know anything about Ron like that, so don't go out of here. Oh, Pastor Tony said Ron. Stay away from Ron. He's the leper of the church now. No, don't do that. Okay? But how, how often does your prayer sound like that instead of literally in brokenness and humility lifting someone up before the Lord? And you're praying for them because you want God's best for them. Not so you can tell God something about them that you don't think God knows already. You understand God knows about you too. God knows about me too. He knows things about me most of you will never know. There's one here that does, and don't talk to Teresa. She wouldn't tell you anyway. <laughs> she wouldn't tell you. We, we decided a long time ago, whether she's talking about me or I'm talking about her, all you're going to ever hear from me is she's the greatest woman that ever walked on the face of the earth. And she is, so it makes it easy. <laughs> she's got the task telling you that I'm good. <laughs> Listen. 
God has called us to pray for one another. I've had, as pastor, different denominational leaders, different religious leaders that have come in and talked to me in my office. And, and almost everyone, and sometimes our, our Gideon guy, Mark Johnson, will come in. And right before they leave, every one of them, just about every one of them says to me, Pastor, how can I pray for you? I love that. How can I pray for you, my brother? My response is, you want to pray for me? The best way you can pray for me is always to pray for my kids. How, how true is that, parents and grandparents? Want to do something for me? Pray for my kids and my grandkids. Okay? And, and those are the kind of people that I know, they'll do it. Most of the time, they'll do it right then. And then they'll carry that out of there. God has called us. How do we do church? We need to be a people of faith who walk in love together, who are thankful for one another, and who are so thankful for one another, I would not think of not praying for you. See, David said, God forbid that I would sin against you. That I would sin against you. Was it David or Samuel? Samuel, thank you. Samuel said, (laughs) who worked with David, so they were kind of close. He said, God forbid that I would ever sin against you, that I would neglect to pray for you. I'm asking you to lift it up to that level. You say you love one another. You say you're thankful for one another. You say you're people of faith. Then you'll be praying for one another. You'll be lifting your brother or sister in Christ up. Even those, and maybe specifically those, that you have issues with. All right, that's how he tells us we are to do church. Now let's carry on that prayer thing for a little bit and see what Paul says of of maybe a a how-to. How do we pray for each other? Verses 17 and 18, Paul gives us a demonstration. Now, anytime you find a demonstration of prayer in the Scripture, there are some great prayers in the Scripture, of course. Daniel has a great prayer in Scripture. We talked about that as we we did the the prayer through Daniel. Certainly, David has some great prayers in the the book of Psalms. And, of course, Jesus has some great prayers. Would you agree with that one? Okay. and But every time you get an example of prayer, it's not given to you or to me so that by rote we just continually say that prayer. They are literally given as examples of prayer. Things that maybe we don't think about that we, we might need to include in heaven. You know, uh, excuse me, in our prayers. Like, like where Jesus says, our Father who is in heaven, holy or hallowed is your name. What's he saying there? He's not saying you have to say that little phrase every time. What's he saying there is in prayer, we must recognize who God is. We must, in prayer, we must honor God and we must revere God and we must declare God in our prayers. He's not saying you have to pray that way every time. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with saying the Lord's Prayer. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you've got to be careful. We talked about this last week. In prayer, God just want, God our Father just wants to hear from His children. And He's so, He's more concerned about sincerity then he's, then he's more concerned about any verbiage that we would use when we pray. So Paul gives us an example of how we in the church that, that are, that is being the family of God, how we can pray for one another. 
He gives us an example. The first thing he, he prays for in these two, in these two verses is he prays that each of us would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. I like that verbiage. It's long, but I like it. He's praying for believers that first of all, they'd have the spirit of wisdom. Well, who gives wisdom? Who gives wisdom? Well, the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. But then he uses another word, not just wisdom, but he uses the word revelation. How do you know Jesus Christ? How do you know Jesus Christ? Well, you know what? I just figured him out one day. And and not only that, I figured he'd be better off with me than he was without me. So I just trusted in him. No, how you know Jesus Christ initially and then continually how you and I know Jesus Christ is by revelation. Now that revelation comes either uh, by reading the word. But the primary, the primary one who reveals Christ, whether we're talking about in the word, in prayer, maybe you're listening to teaching, whatever it may be, is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals Christ to you. And if the Spirit has not revealed Christ to you, you can't know him. Did you hear what I just said? If the Holy Spirit does not reveal Christ to you or to me, we can't know him. It's impossible to know him. In the same way it's impossible to understand his word apart from the teaching of the Holy Spirit. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't know Christ. You know, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't know the, the words of God. So what is Paul? Now remember, he's speaking to those who are already saved here. He's speaking to the church. And so the church, he's, he's praying that God would give them, or the Holy Spirit would give each of them, each of them, the continued spirit of wisdom. Now what's wisdom? You know me, I like those little phrases that For me, wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. Or you might say the biblical application of knowledge. There are a lot of people, maybe you went to school and maybe one of them was your professors. They had knowledge out their heads. But they had no wisdom. They couldn't apply that knowledge if you asked them to. So they had all these facts. It's kind of like watching people on Jeopardy. They have all these facts just bursting out of their head. You ask them to do something practical, you go, what? they don't, what do you mean practical? Aren't you impressed that I just know? In the church, Paul prays for the church, not, and he's going to talk about this in a minute, not only to know, but he wants them to know how to apply it. Biblical wisdom. And he also prays that they would have the continued revelation of the Holy Spirit now listen, don't miss this last part, what he says there. In the knowledge of Christ. In the knowledge of Christ. Revelation apart from the knowledge of Christ is just babbling. There are a lot of so-called prophets out there. They've always been there. They've been there since the dawn of time, babbling what they think is truth, leaving God completely out of it. And in the case of the church, you have so-called prophets today that never speak the name of Jesus, never point anybody to Jesus, never never lift up Jesus, never tell you that the full revelation of God in all prophetic truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ and nowhere else. Do you get what I just said? Anybody who prophesies and neglects Jesus are prophesying of themselves. 
Because biblically, every prophecy, every truth, every teaching is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want something new. The only way you can have something new is to have a new Savior. Now, it may be new to you as the Holy Spirit reveals something to you, but it's not new. I'm very hesitant, and many of you know this, to receive anybody who claims to be a modern-day prophet. Very hesitant. I believe that there are prophets today in the sense of those who forth-tell to a world that does not know that truth. But I'm very, very hesitant for those who want to stand forth and say, I'm here to foretell you what's going to happen. I've listened to a lot of them that claim to be. And they would say something like this. Les, this year you're going to have trouble. Praise God. Okay? Praise God. Cliff, this year God's going to bless you. Praise God. Be careful. Because I could do that and I'm not a prophet. Be careful. It has always been my concern that the church wants to hear more from a so-called prophet than they do from the word of God. Now let me ask you this. How many of you got this all down? How many of you live by this page per page and you got it all down and, and you got it all together? And you're just kind of sitting back waiting for God to show you something new. My question will always be, why would God give you something new when we haven't even taken care of what he's already given us? So when we talk about revelation, that revelation is always in the church and in the Bible is always tied to Jesus Christ. So he prays that they would have spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Christ. The second thing he prays for them that we can pray for each other about is that, that their eyes would be enlightened to understanding. That's the third word he used. He's used wisdom, he's used knowledge, and now he's used the word understanding. You see, when the word of God is proclaimed, God doesn't want you just to know it, again, by rote. He wants you to understand it. And at the place of understanding, he leads you to apply it. And so Paul teaches us in, in the church, when, when I pray for you, when I pray for maybe the things you're going through, and you pray for me about things I'm going through, but always to add to that, that we would have that spirit of wisdom, that we would receive the revelation tied to Jesus Christ, but that we would also have understanding. He uses the word enlightenment. I know that, that word has all kinds of connotations in our world today, but he, he just wants, basically, let me put it, he wants our eyes open. He wants our hearts open, and he wants our spirits open to the things of God. That's understanding. And again, after understanding, we, be, we can begin to apply God's word to us. And that's basically what he says the third, third time, that, that we would experience the hope of his calling. You see the progressive nature of, well, I hate that word progressive, but that's the way it works. Progressive nature of what he's saying here. First of all, I pray that you have the spirit of wisdom. Then I pray that you have a revelation that ties, that always ties with Jesus Christ. Then I pray that you have understanding of what it is. And then finally, I pray that you would experience 
In other words, that which you've received, now you're going to live in, or live from, or live by. This is not a class. Our faith is not a class that you're going to take so that you can pass some test somewhere. Other than the one test we do have is outside those doors. And that's what determines whether or not we got it. That's what determines whether or not we are that family of God that Paul talks about right here. We come in here for encouragement. We come in here for equipping. We come in here for for correction. We come in here for, for building the fellowship and stuff. But our test is not inside the walls of this church. Our test is out there. And it's out there where it's going to be seen. Whether or not we have gained that understanding so that we can walk the walk and not just talk the talk. That's the prayer. I pray that you will experience the hope of his calling. Now listen, he's not talking about salvation here. As as a born-again Christian, you have already received the hope of salvation in Christ Jesus. He's talking to believers here, and what he's saying is, I am praying that you have the hope of his calling. In other words... Literally, that you are living the life as a child of God that he has called you to live and is designed for you to live. That's what he's talking about right here. You might put it this way in your prayer for a brother or sister Christ. Lord, I just pray that they'll walk with you this week. That they'll know you in a deeper way. That they'll understand you in a deeper way. And that they will walk in the way you have for them. What a great prayer that we can give for one another. And remember, it's not about them. It really is for them. And it's not from a position, God, let them be like me. I'm already doing those things. So if everybody would be a little bit more like me, we'd all be in good shape. That's not the point. It's not about us. The revelation is not in you or of you. The revelation is of who? Jesus Christ. You want to pray for somebody? God, let them be more like you. And not only them, Lord, let me be more like you. Give me that insight. Give me that wisdom. Give me that knowledge. Give me that understanding. And then, Lord, let me experience. Let me walk in how you've changed me and what you've done for me. How can I pray for the family that I walk in faith with? How can I pray for the family of God that I love? How can I pray for those I'm thankful for and being my brother and sister. And how can I pray in a way that's effective? Paul tells me, I pray that my brothers and sisters have the spirit of wisdom. I pray that my brothers and sisters know the truth of God. I pray that my brothers and sisters understand God's call, God's truth. And I pray that every day they can walk in the hope that they have in Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you, do me a favor. Pray for me that way. Pray for me that way. Let's close this out the way Paul closes out. Prayer can be words just thrown up into the sky. Prayer can be self-serving, self-glorifying words and a piety like the Pharisees who who remember they, they, they went out and said, Lord, I thank you I'm not like so-and-so, like that publican over there. Our prayer can be to the one 
that the Holy Spirit has revealed to us, and we approach him as the one who he is, like the publican. God, be merciful to me, for you know I'm a sinner. Or like the psalmist says, God, you know I'm made of clay. You know I I can't do this, but you can. See, Paul reminds us as he closes out this portion to remember when we pray that we are to pray to the one who is able. Amen? I'm not able. I'm not capable. I will fall off flat on my face so many times. And any time I begin to think I've arrived, I'm reminded that I'm not even close. But I do know one who's able. I hope you do too. I, I do know one who can do everything that he's promised to. And not only can he do, because he has promised it, he will do everything that he said he would do. And Paul reminds us about this one. I love the word of Paul. You look here, verses 19 through 23. Let me just draw these to you very quickly so we don't run out of time. He says, he says, the one you are to pray to is the one with great and mighty power. Well, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Why would I want to pray to someone who's weak and anemic? And he reminds us, our God is omnipotent. Big word to just simply mean he's all-powerful. There's no limit to his power. Can you imagine the one who is all-powerful loves you? Can you imagine the one who is all-powerful indwells you? And I am convinced that God always wants to do more in our life than we're ready for him to do and willing for him to do. It's not that he's limited. It's that I'm the limited one. Isaiah puts it this way. He says, you know, some of you have accused God, and I'm paraphrasing here. Some of you have accused God of being hard of hearing. Some of you are accusing God of not having the ability to see things clearly. He said, listen, I'm, I'm here to tell you. It's not because God is limited, but it really is because of your sin or your unbelief. God is ready to show himself. I believe that. You know, we live in a world that's falling apart all around us. Would you agree with that? We know where it's heading. We've read the book. But that's, that's really not should not be our main concern. Our concern should be what Paul's praying for here. We should be connected with Christ so that no matter what happens next week, our focus is still on Jesus. You know what that does? That, re- that keeps us qualified to minister in the, mix, in the midst of a mess. I like that thought. Jesus qualifies you and I, his children, to minister in the midst of a mess. I can't say it any faster than that. I would be all over the place. But to me, that's kind of the practical thing here. That's the application. And we can do that because it's not that I'm qualified. It's not that I'm mighty and powerful. It's that he is. And that's what Paul reminds us. We are to pray to the one with great mind and power. The second thing he tells us, we are to pray to the one who has the power of the resurrection. Listen, if you're going to believe in a God, and if you're going to believe in someone who can make a difference, does it make sense to believe in the one who could raise Jesus from the dead? We are the only faith 
only, I don't even like the word religion, we're the only faith that has a risen Savior. You want to go to the Middle East? Been there several times now. Want to go find his grave? Well, you may find it. You may stumble on it. Nobody knows where it is. But I can tell you what you won't find there. You won't find his bones there. You won't find one trace of him there. Just like the angel said, he's not here. He is risen. Just like Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen, when you pray, pray to the one who has power over sin, death, and hell. Pray to the one who has the power of life that could literally raise the dead. Matter of fact, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians, if you don't trust in him to do that, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then your faith is powerless, it's meaningless, it's futile. So Paul reminds us here, we are to pray to the one with great might and power. We are to pray to the one who has the power of the resurrection. The third thing says we are to pray to the one who's above all others in every age. Above all others. In my home, when the kids were little and they wanted something, you know who they ran to? They ran to the boss. She's sitting right down there. (laughs) They ran to the boss. Now, those little kids were smart enough. They were smart. And your kids are like that, too. Don't tell me they're not. They were smart enough to know that if they wanted something, they went to the boss. They didn't bother with the hireling that provided food and did all the, you know, didn't all, I didn't say did all the work. Sorry, hon. Apologize. If I have a bruise next, never mind. I believe that alone. They went to the boss. You know what Jesus Christ has done for us when he redeemed us? He made it possible for us to go to the head of all things. And if you're going to pray, Paul reminds us, pray to the one who is above all things. And the fourth thing he tells us to pray is very similar to the third thing. That is, he's before all things or he's over or above all things. But he's also the head of all things. And particularly the church. It must be said over and over again because of the nature of we human beings. There is no human head of the church in the sense of someone who's in charge of the church. There's no hierarchy in the church. The pastor's not the head of the church. The deacons are not the head of the church. Even the people in a congregational type setup that we are involved in, The people are not the head. The elders are not the head. If Jesus is not the head of the church, it's not the church. You hear what I just said? And he reminds us here, if you're going to pray, go to the one who is the head of the church, who has all authority in the body of Christ. Let's close this out. We are called to live with and pray for one another as believers in Christ. Paul has showed us how we're to live together. Paul has showed us how we are to pray for one another. 
And Paul has directed us that as we pray and as we live, we must remember that Jesus Christ is the head of the body and we must go to him. Go to him in prayer, in worship, in adoration, in everything. And we'll see what he can do that no religious body can do, that no denomination can do, that no gathering of people can do, just him. This is what he called us to. I hope you are encouraged by what he says here. Because I'll say this to you. For me as a pastor, this lives this lifts a huge burden off of my shoulders. Okay? Doesn't mean I don't have responsibilities. Don't mean that I, 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 I'm not supposed to do certain things. Of course I am. But it's not based upon who I am. Nor is it based upon who you are. It is all based upon who he is. And when he is who he's supposed to be in our life, then we can love as we're supposed to. Then we can forgive. Then we can do all those things that he speaks about in the passage. Then we can pray for one another and stop praying about one another as we acknowledge him for who he is. I ask you to bow your head with me this morning. And let me say this. All this that I've shared with you this morning is based upon whether or not we have, each of us have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. If it's all based upon Jesus, then it would be incumbent on each of us to know, to know Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus. So the first step of any of us as human beings is to make sure that we know God through his son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus himself said, there's no way to the Father except that you come through me, through Jesus. And so to those who may not have trusted in him yet, we want to give you the opportunity this morning to trust in Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus. Say, what do I need to do? What do I need to fill out? Well, it's very simple and you don't need to fill out anything. It's as simple as this. To come to a place where you acknowledge that you can't fix yourself. And that you need a Savior. And that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That you believe that he came to this earth, born of a virgin. Lived a sinless life. And willingly went to the cross of Calvary for your sin and for my sin. He paid for it already. He died upon that cross They put him in the tomb, but that tomb could not hold him. And three days later, he rose from the dead, overcoming sin, death, and hell once and for all. And for anybody, anybody who would put their faith and trust in them. And if you've never done that, I always say this. more than you need your next breath, you need to put your trust in Jesus. In just a moment, as we sing our closing song, I would encourage you, if you're ready to put your faith and trust in Jesus, right to this door to my right, There will be a gentleman back there. He's there to meet you. He's there to pray with you. He's not there to put you on the spot, but just to pray with you as you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you don't know you want to do that yet and you want to talk to somebody, Pastor Cliff is always ready to talk to you. I'm always ready to talk to you. Any of our deacons are ready to talk to you. Now for the church. Church.